if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Our guest today is Wendy Murdoch, and she's come back to us. You might have remembered we talked to Wendy a few times. She's talked to us about surefoot pads. But today we're going to talk about 10 tips to learn anything for you and your horse. And she's a qualified instructor anyway, so she can sort of talk about that. We've been talking to Wendy a few times. If you haven't listened to her before, go back and listen to, I think it must have been 453, 523 and 576, certainly been on. A few times. How are you today, Wendy? I'm really well, thank you. Oh, that's good. Good. Wendy, before we get started, I just want to remind people about International Horse College. And the podcast is brought to you by International Horse College, just reminding you about the mission, International Horse College, and it's to improve the welfare of horses around the world through the safe education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So have a look at the wide variety of horse courses now at International Horse College. Dot com registered training organization 31352 now wendy these 10 tips on learning anything for you and your horse i know you teach and we've talked to you about improving your riding improving your jumping position but this particular one 10 tips to learn anything tell us a little bit more about why you've chosen that subject um yeah so i'm what's called a feldenkrais practitioner mm-hmm. And Feldenkrais method is a technique that was developed by Dr. Moisha Feldenkrais um, back in, just post World War II, and he was an engineer who was also athletic, and he would play soccer. And he actually um, introduced judo to Europe, so he taught judo. And in his process, um, at one point, he injured his knee. And when the doctors, he went to the doctors, and they talked about surgery. He said that surgery had about a 50% chance of fixing his knee. Oh, okay. And he decided that that wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. So what he did, as a, as a, he was a brilliant man. He spoke multiple languages. Um, he was actually in Madame Curie's laboratory. He studied the human body, the bones. And he looked at the bones and said, "There's given the number of bones, there's like 126, there's 5,000 different possible combinations of the way we could organize these bones. Mm-hmm. And most people, when they get out of high school, they're using about 800 of those patterns. So we, by you know, being repetitive, sitting in desks, doing things like that, we lose this potential for movement. And so his whole idea was to help people re-engage new possibilities of movement or uh, reignite possibilities that they'd forgotten. So... You know, it's really based, this whole idea of learning is a lot, I base it on the Feldenkrais method because he had two parts. One was called awareness through movement, where you lay on the floor and there's a teacher who verbally talks you through uh, a whole movement pattern that's non-habitual, meaning Mm -hmm. it's not something you'd normally do. And then the other part was functional integration, where it's an individual working one-on-one, non-verbal, so it's it's hands-on. And I think of it like a private riding lesson is the functional integration and the group riding lesson is the awareness for movement. But basically, he would help people restore possibilities of movement. And so Linda Tellington-Jones actually studied with Dr. Feldenkrais in the 70s, and that's where the Tellington-Jones yes. equine awareness method was born, yeah. right? And and so he was it, – it's much more than just a technique. There's also a philosophy – that we can achieve our potential and that all we lack is information. Mm-hmm. And so when someone gets stuck in a, in a pattern and you don't have a choice, you can't move out of that pattern, whether it's a horse or a person. And since we both are mammals and we have a nervous system that works in a very similar way, and we're, we both have a nerve called the vagal nerve, which is all about recognizing safety and social engagement, that Really, when we start to learn, understand how we learn as persons, we can understand how horse learns as horse. And that really, there, there's not a lot of difference because the way we're designed is so similar. And that's really, you know, having been 
training in the Feldenkrais method for over 16 years and working with the techniques for I don't know how long. Um, I I am it's a very Socratic meaning ask a question as opposed to having right and wrong. The minute we get into right and wrong, we're stuck because yes and no is not an option. If you're either right or you're wrong, there's no option in there. It's one of the other. And Christ said you should have at least a minimum of three different ways of doing anything so that you had choice. Mm-hmm. And when you start to realize that so many people have been in the education system taught to just give the right answer, yes. as opposed to being able to think critically and evaluate and assess and take something apart and put it back together or look at how it's actually functioning, that it's it's such a shame because, you know, what an opportunity to make brilliant people by helping them achieve their potential through asking being more Socratic and, and, and really teaching them how to learn instead of just simply teaching them how to spit back an answer. Yep. Yep. And so it's from this, this idea that it's not just people, it's also horses. Mm -hmm. And the thing that's so critical in both is one, you have, you have to meet all of the parameters of learning. Okay. So whether it's a horse or a person, you have to have enough sleep because if you don't have enough sleep, you're you're not going to learn well. Yes. You have to have a food in your belly, because if you're hungry, you're not going to learn well. You must feel safe. And whether it's a person or a horse, in order to learn, you need to feel safe. And that's so important. Okay? You need to be comfortable. In other words, if it's too hot or too cold, you're too busy just existing to learn. So when you... You know, when you you get extreme heat and you had the fires, which yes. was so horrendous. Yes. Nobody can learn in that environment. Sure. You're too stressed by what's going on, mm. right? Yep. And then the last thing is that we need companionship. People, that's the biggest thing happening right now with COVID-19 is, and what they're talking about on the TV constantly here, is that in self-isolation, we no longer have interaction. Mm. And the vagal nerve a big piece of it is social engagement that when, if you're in a group of people or a horse is in a herd of horses and one horse alerts, everybody looks up to see what was that. And then that horse says, Oh, it's fine. And they all look around and go, Oh, he's okay. I'm okay. We're all okay. We'll go back to eating. Yes. Right. And people do the same thing. You know, all you have to do is stare up at the sky and you can have a whole bunch of people. <laughs> yes. Yes. Start looking at something. Right? Yep. Yep. Right. Because we have this herd dynamic. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when people want to go on and on about predator prey, I, I take people to Africa on horseback safari. And when I get them out there, I go, you're the pink squishy thing without fur that's nicely marbled. Just, <laughs> you know? yep. And suddenly the roles are turned and we realize we're all, we all have the ability to to be a predator. And so does a horse. And we all have the ability to be a prey. Now they're herbivores and we're carnivores or actually we're omnivores. You know, a gamut of what we eat, but because we're both mammals, we have this same basic nervous system and this vagal response, which is in all mammals. And there's one piece that um, you can't control. That's like if you get nervous and you flush, Mm -hmm. you can't control that. But the other piece is the social engagement piece where you look around and you go, okay, this, this, this party feels pretty safe. I think I'm going to have a good time or man, this, you know, I walked into my boss's office and I instantly knew I was, you know, <laughs> that's Vegas reporting yeah. back. And when, when we get to optimal learning or learning anything, whether it's a horse or a person, we've got to meet those basic needs because that's the environment in which we're going to learn best. When we've got enough food in our belly, when we've had enough sleep, when we're comfortable, when we're feeling safe, and we have companionship. Okay. And, you know, like right now we're doing all that on podcasts. <laughs> yes. Great. We've got technology, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah, because otherwise it'd be a <laughs> more than it is. <laughs> all right. Now, the first, the first thing to talk about, skills versus drills. If you're explaining, you know, from an education point of view, what's a skill? What's a drill and why one over the other? A a skill, think of it as technique. Yep. So um, if I give you some walnuts and I give you a mallet and I tell you you've got to open all these walnuts, 
And if you're going to do a drill, you'll just take the hammer and you'll smash every one. And yeah, you've opened the walnuts, but you can't eat the walnut anymore because mm. the meatball's destroyed. Yep. But if I teach you the skill of taking a really fine little tool and just cracking it open, now you ha- you have another technique, another way to do something. So, so often horse people get into drilling their horses, repeating the same thing over and over and over and over. Yep. When the horse actually got it on the second time. Mm-hmm. And by drilling them, what you're doing is you're actually putting them into a place where they're shutting down. So it's the same with people. You know, if you are in a school situation and they make you do the same thing over and over and over and over, but they don't offer you any any choice or any variation or any um, other context or different environment to look at the same thing, then it's just drilling and you get numb. Your brain yeah. literally just turns numb. And so you're not learning. Now, is it important once you've learned a new skill to do that and repeat it so that it becomes more uh, habitual. In other words, you don't have to think about it as much. Yes, but even that is what's really important in learning is rest. And if we don't give the nervous system sufficient rest, then we're actually losing the opportunity to be a good learner. Because in the rest is, and especially in a rest period where... um, you know, you're you're relaxed, you might be daydreaming, um, you know, you're not thinking about it particularly. In background, your brain is under the influence of serotonin, which is the neurochemical of feel good, right? It's the one they tell you to go out and work in the dirt because yeah. it activates, you know, increases serotonin. Mm-hmm. But serotonin builds the dendritic scaffolding to make new neural connections. And so we've got rest is so important. And with horses, so often we see the trainer, you know, the horse can't track to the right the same. So I'm going to drill him to the right and make him do 10 times more to the right than the left. And all you're doing is actually either reinforcing the habit you don't want or just numbing the horse to where he's checked out. And so he's not actually learning, just like us. And so it's important to think about what is it that you want the horse to be able to do? And how can you break that down into smaller pieces, digestible bits, where you look at parts of what you're asking as opposed to trying to do the whole thing all at once and break it down into skills? Because then if the horse learns different skills, you can put those skills in different orders. Think of it as like um, letters, right? You have a whole alphabet. Well, if you learn the different letters, you can spell words and sentences and paragraphs. But if you only learn a word, you're stuck because the next time you have to learn another word. It's like me trying to learn a foreign language. It's really bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like the way that you said, you know, look at what you want. Break it down into skills. And it's more working on the quality, isn't it, rather than just doing it? Yeah, and and looking at different pieces. So there's a circus in Switzerland. It's called Circus Canee. And it's been around for, oh, it was 75 years back in the 90s when I was there. So it's probably been around for about 100 years. And uh, Freddie Kinney started it. And all of his training is open to the public. So you can go anytime. And they travel around the country and you can go and watch them. And they didn't train the act. They trained different skills and they broke the skills down with all positive reinforcement. And and they just built the 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 uh, performance based on putting together different skills that the animals had learned. So they weren't training them to the performance. They were training them to different skills. And then every time they change the performance, they just take the different skills that the animals have learned and put those together and they have another performance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's like having the building blocks to do things as opposed to only having one block. That's all you know how to do. Yep. 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 Now, tell us about training. You know, it was sort of pretty much old school. We've just got to beat the horse into submission. The horse is fearful. And I think you talk a lot more about curiosity. So tell us about curiosity versus fear. So I think that curiosity and fear are two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. That when we're, you know, because if you watch a foal, right, and there's something new in its paddock and it gets really curious and it starts to come over and then all of a sudden it has to run away. 
And then it comes back and it starts to investigate again. And then it has to run away. And so I think that it's they're very close together, but they are different. And mm -hmm. I want to get people and horses curious as opposed to fearful, because if they're fearful, they're not learning. Yeah. They're just trying to avoid punishment mm -hmm. or whatever it is they're afraid of, whether it's they're afraid of falling or they're, if it's a rider, they're just afraid of falling. And so they're so busy worrying about being afraid that they're going to get hurt because they're not present. They're not in the moment. They're not actually noticing what the horse is doing or how he's responding or reacting so that they can be proactive and take an action. It's too late. If you're, if you're afraid and you're worrying about what's going to happen to you, it's, it's, you know, it's just a question of time. And the same thing with horses. We tend to read too much into horses. They don't have the frontal lobe that we have. They have a little bit of frontal lobe. It's for attention. It's problem solving. But what I always tell people is um, I, I watched Star Trek as a kid, and now mm -hmm. I have a communicator. And I'm talking to you on it right now. <laughs> I'm on my iPhone. And so we can dream. We can yep. create uh, fake realities. Horses don't do that. You know, no, horses no. are just in the present mm -hmm. and we, we tend to forget how simple they are and we read into their behaviors. But, you know, if they're afraid, we see the signs of fear. And if they're in fear, they're not going to be learning. But if we can get them curious and interested, then we have the chance to actually activate their brain in a positive way so that we can create that relationship that we're looking for. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I've been around for a long time um, and my my first horse, I'll never forget how they drug him into a horse trailer. Mm. And, and, you know, I mean, after that, it took us a very long time to teach him how to load quietly because he had literally been drug into the horse trailer. Um, and that's not learning because the next time you have to keep repeating it and somebody's going to get hurt eventually yeah. because. When horses are afraid, they're a 1,400-pound animal that's not going to look after you. Mm. So, you know, we have to respect their size and respect their their level of capacity, mental capacity, and recognize that what the number one thing a horse needs to feel is safety. And that the sooner we can establish that safety, and that's one of the things I love about Surefoot is what everybody says to me is, my horse wants to be with you more than me. You know, because the horse instantly recognizes I'm bringing safety to them. I'm not threatening them. And then they'll follow me around. They'll, you know, they're much more cooperative and willing because they don't see me threatening. Um, yes. You know, and, yes. and it doesn't matter if it's a horse or a person. You know, my students, I can't tell you how many students, first-time students are like, tell me everything I'm doing wrong and bad. And I'm like, why? Why would I do that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, what mm -hmm. is that? You know, yep. Yep. but they, they're, they're they're afraid and they're already self-deprecating and it's like no I'm not going to do that I, I never do that you know um, but I'm mean, I'm going to show you something you can do and so the minute I get them a little more curious and they stop being so judgmental and they start to interact with their horse it totally changes the learning it totally changes the situation. I mean, I've had whole clinics with riders that were that everybody was terrified, and by the second day, they forgot they were afraid because they felt safe. I showed them where their safe place was, yeah. and so it's you know, so often what we're dealing with with horses and riders are trying so hard to get it right, and I think in that in that trying so hard, they get stuck and they get afraid or they they can't get it right that's really where their fear comes from is I, i'll never get this right i'll never be you know good now i'm ruining my horse all those all those fearful thoughts <laughs> really it's it's about getting more childlike yes yes I, I know it can be very rewarding you know like you said by yeah. the second day yeah yeah now you know a lot of the the training that we're doing you know is routine what can we do that's novel tell us the difference you know, if we talk about novel versus routine. So routine is I go out into the ring every day and I ride my 15 minutes to the right, my 15 yep. minutes yep. to the left, and you know. Almost on the um, time. And novel, yeah. Yep. yeah, it's exactly right. It's like, and again, it's that's so mind-numbing because it's, it's just the same. It's always the same. Mm -hmm. But novel is, say, you know, you start out um, and you start with a different task. Maybe it's, I don't know, that 
you know, they have to, they have to like go over and explore a corner and you go and explore the corner with them, right? Or then you find there's a little log and you've got, okay, let's go over this log. Or if you're out on a trail, you know, let's investigate. So when we make it more novel, um, you know, like talk about the coronavirus being novel. <laughs> and what they mean by that is that we've never seen it before. Yeah. So our immune system has no response to it mm-hmm. or no, not a good response to it. Right. But that's what novel means. You haven't seen it before. It's something different. It's something interesting. And the more we can think of of presenting ideas in a different way to the horse, it, you know, it activates their brain. So I'll give you a simple example that uh, was something Dr. Feldenkrais did. This is he was in Switzerland at a scientific meeting, and there was a woman who had a whiplash neck, and she couldn't move her head down to her shoulder. And so he went to work with her, and instead of trying to move her head, he moved her shoulder toward her ear. Okay. And he did this several times, right? Because the nervous system was like, I can't move my head toward my shoulder. So he reduced the distance between the ear and the shoulder by lifting the shoulder. But essentially, you're doing the same idea. You're shortening the distance. But the nervous system doesn't have a pattern to that. In other words, it couldn't go to the habit of, I can't move my neck. And so in minutes on this video, the woman is able to move her head toward her shoulder and move her shoulders toward her head because he came at it from a completely different perspective. And that's really what I'm trying to say here with novel is how can you approach an idea from a such a different perspective that you don't activate the habitual patterns. Mm-hmm. And when you can do that, then you have access to the nervous system and to learning. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available. And the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, If you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book imagine maybe one day you could be a guest on horse chats i love the way that you give us lots of examples you know even just when you started off with the walnuts and the hammer and the skills versus drills example and this is just another one you know that you're giving us examples of I suppose thinking a little bit outside the box with our horses, you know, not just taking what we've, yeah. what we've done year after year after year, but going a little bit broader, thinking a bit, you know, as you say, novel, a bit different. Yeah, love talking to you, I mean, Wendy. It, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. And, you know, one of the hardest things for a rider to do is mm. to stop. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we get into a situation, we think we have to win or we have to complete it or we have to whatever, and actually – You'd be so much better off stopping, doing something else for five minutes, whatever that is, get off your horse, pet your horse, whatever, and come at it again. Yep. And you'll have allowed the nervous system to recover and to refresh and then to go again. Okay. And I, I have a, a dear old friend who's a who's he used to ride reining horses and he and he was such an he's still around. In fact, I talked to him just the other day. Um, but he was so interesting because he would always be thinking about different ways to do things. So when he would go to the competitions, you could pay five bucks to go into the big ring and practice. Yep. Okay. Well, all these big trainer guys would ride their horses nicely in the warm up and then go in and ride the heck out of them in the big arena. Mm-hmm. But what Bruce did was he'd ride his horse really hard in the warm up. And then he'd go into the big arena and he'd get off and he'd pet his horse for five minutes. He'd spend his five bucks petting his horse. And by the time they got to the competition, his horses were running to get into the arena and all the other guys' horses were running to get out. <laughs> yes. Just by looking at it, you know, from a different angle. Yes. How can yes. we make it so that the horse wants to do what we want instead of make it so unpleasant for the horse to do mm-hmm. the thing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
you've got a couple of words here, and I like the way that we're sort of talking about different words, reversible versus overcommitted. What do you mean by reversible and what do you mean by overcommitted and, and um, you know, put that together? So I'll do overcommitted first. Yes. So you've walked up to the edge of a cliff and you've leaned over and you can't get back and you fall off the cliff. Yep. Yep. Okay. Reversible is that you approach the edge of the cliff, but you can back up and then you can go forward, maybe a little closer to the edge and you can back up and you make sure that you never go further forward than you can go back. Okay. And that's what I mean by reversible. So, so often we, what we do is we go over the edge. Yep. In other words, instead of figuring out, okay, canner, canner is one, I see this all the time, is that people decide, okay, it's time to canner. And so they run their horse into it or they flap at their horse or they do whatever to make the horse canner at all costs. But then the horse is overcommitted and the rider's overcommitted. And if the horse isn't in balance and the next thing he's running off with the rider and they fall off and they get hurt mm. because they didn't actually approach canner. They just ran off the cliff yep. and there's no way back. So what I have people do is I have them like approach the canner. I actually make them canner on the ground first, but that's another story. <laughs> um, I have them start to approach the canner and then come back whether that's back to walk or back to trot, and then go again. Because if they start approaching, they're going to feel the moment when, oh, I've either lost the balance or my horse is starting to scramble or he's, you know, he's starting to lean or he's falling on the forehand. It's like, great, then slow down, come back to trot. Mm -hmm. And how can we approach that again, maintaining balance so that the horse canters the first stride in balance instead of, racing off with his head in the air and we're pulling like crazy on his mouth because we just ran him off the cliff. Yep. And so that's what I mean about reversible is really breaking it down and looking, you know, um, I do this so much with horses at the walk, actually, that if I have a horse that's really hollow and inverted, I'll be on the ground and the person will be on the horse's back. And what I see is that the very first step, the horse raises his head to move his foot. Well, if he does that, he's already on the forehand. Mm -hmm. So I just start showing the horse, asking him, you know, can you let your neck down when you take that first step? Because if he can't let his neck down to take the first step, then we're just going to be fighting with him to get his head down on every step. Yeah. And we really have to break it down. And what are you doing on the first step? Because if I can have the pattern of relaxation and back up, neck down on the first step, I can get the second step. But if I don't have it on the first step, I don't know if I'm going to get on any other step. Yep, yep. Now, the attitude. The attitude of the horse, but the attitude of the rider. How does that compare with denial? So, you know, a lot of people are either not, how do I want to put this? They're not seeing what's really in front of them. Okay. Yep. They've yep. made up a story about mm -hmm. it. Yes. And so they're living in in denial. Yep. You know, um, there's a great old cartoon of Calvin and Hobbes about uh, denial. But anyway, that's kind of old. Um, but it's, you know, they, they're living in this fantasy because they either don't know what to do or don't know how to do or it's too painful to see what's going on. And, you know, sometimes we have to just simply let go of our ego and go, you know what? I've been riding one horse in a saddle that hasn't fit for two years. And my horse is now really unhappy and his back's sore. Mm. But it's so hard for us to admit and to be honest with ourselves about what we may or may not have done with our horse. Mm -hmm. And I remember, it's this a long time ago, I had a horse and he was off the track and he, he was so PTSD when it came to saddling. But you know, what I didn't realize was my saddle was all, it, there was more than just my saddle, but my saddle was part of the problem. And I, long story short, I gave him away and a guy put a Western saddle on and the horse was so much better. Really? Right. And, and so what I did was in, instead of beating myself up over the fact that, you know, I never figured it out or look at what I did to my horse or no, nope, my saddle wasn't a problem. It was never the problem. Mm. I said, you know what? I'm going to learn about saddle fit so I can help other people because I couldn't help my own horse. Yep. And so it's not about putting on a cheery face and just acting like everything's going to be okay. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, that's denial too. Yeah. <laughs> but it's being 
being able to look at the situation and go, okay, I didn't do it right. It wasn't, it, you know, I was part of the problem, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to learn from my mistake so that I can help someone else not make that mistake. And that's really how I've wound up doing what I do is that, you know, I learned from my mistakes and I learned information that I know I can help. Do I know everything? No. Does anybody? Mm. No. But can I help somebody? Yes. Yes. And so passing on the knowledge and the information to make everyone's life better rather than just blindly going, no, no, that didn't happen. You learn from your own mistakes, but when people can teach you about their mistakes, it's not just about, you know, and I know because, you know, you were telling me about Feldenkrais and, and, you know, we've had other conversations where you've learned things from other people. So it's not just you're learning from your own mistakes. You're also getting the information to learn from other people's mistakes. So it just keeps generating on and on. If you can then teach it to someone else, they're learning from your mistakes and your knowledge. So it really is essential that people have open minds and continue to learn, continue to get educated, continue to think about what they're doing and how it's affecting the horse. Absolutely. And, you know, it's when we look at learning, we have to go back to the early stages of learning, whether it's a person or a horse, because mm-hmm. our learning patterns are established so early. Yes. And, you know, this is where, you know, when, when the educational system, we just, you know, it is what it is. And there are changes that are happening. And I don't have children, so I'm not involved with the, the traditional educational system. But I so often I work with older women that weren't taught how to actually learn. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for them, it's it's a little harder because, you know, it's not part of their habit. It's not part of the way they're, you know, they were taught. And, and so it's just like a horse that hasn't been taught how to learn to be curious and interested. And so we have to appreciate that that, mm-hmm. you know, anybody who's willing to put aside their traditional system and be able to open the door to learning a new skill, whatever it is, is so important. And it's what they're saying is, you know, in order to keep our brains healthy, one of the things that's so important is to learn new things. And so being brave enough to say, I'm going to learn something new, whatever it is, whether it's riding or whether it's knitting or whether it's, you know, a sport or a musical instrument, to be willing to say, I'm going to give it a try and I might fail and it's okay. Yeah. You know, it's okay. But it's the, it's the willingness that's so important. And you'll never know if you're going to fail if you don't give it a go. That's right. Some people are so afraid to fail that they never give it a shot and then they miss out on so much. And then as you say, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Oh, well. Now, with a horse, we have to always be careful with that one, right? Yeah, we have to yeah. adjust our bets and make, keep safety in mind. But, um, you know, but, but that's the thing is right now, since most of us are home, it's a great time. There's so much YouTube available to learn anything. You know, yes. pick yes. up a paintbrush or a pencil or yes. anything. Just kind of get some creativity going and learn something new. And, you know, because nobody's watching, who cares if you make a mistake? Yeah, yeah. Who cares yeah, if you exactly. tear the paper, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep, yep. Now, repeating versus rest. And I know you talked about, you know, we talked a little bit about drills and skills, but tell us about repeating, you know, when we repeat, when we should rest. So I watch some people when they're doing their horsemanship and they'll go out and they'll they'll do something 10 times because yeah. they've been told they should do it 10 times. Yeah. But, you know, are they doing 10 times consciously or are they just doing 10 times because somebody said they should do it 10 times? Mm. And so that's, the, again, it's like to look and see, you know, I've done this once and my horse has shown me the, the activity that I, whatever it is, I can step sideways, whatever I want him to do. Why should I do it again? What I want to do is let him realize he got it right. You know, like I asked and he did it. And even if it's not perfect, it doesn't have to be perfect. That's what's something that's very important. It doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. And I think that's where we get into the repetition because we think we have to do it perfect. And so often I'll get a rider and you know, we're starting to work on leg yield and they, they get a couple of great steps. And I'm like, stop. How'd that feel? What was that like? You know, rest from. And they look at me like, what? Yep. 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 <laughs> I think I'm crazy. Yep. Yep. And it's like, yeah, just take a moment to feel it. To just rest, rest for a moment. Yes. Because yes. 
You have less than half a second between an action and a response to wire it together in the brain. So there's a simple thing. Nerves that fire together wire together, and nerves that fire apart wire apart. So if I just repeat something 10 times without actually re- like resting the horse when he actually does it well, yes. then how does he know yes. which one he's supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Right? Because I was on this 10 time thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But if I see something that's better, you know, on the second time, I'm going to stop. I'm going to rest. I'm going to wait there so that I start wiring that together. And the same is true, like to wire something apart, you have to stop doing an activity to wire it apart. And I always use smoking because I smoked long, long time ago. You have to put down the cigarette to quit smoking. Yep. Right? You can't yep. keep picking up a cigarette and quit smoking. It is not possible. Mm-hmm. Right? And so to, to unwire smoking, you have to stop. And so to unwire some of these patterns we have with our horses, we have to stop. You literally have to stop doing it. Yep. And that's, you know, some people that's really, really hard. An example is... Um, I, I went to this thoroughbred um, rehab center. Yes. And I worked with this horse. I walked in and there was this gray horse and he was messing around and messing around. And the woman was like, oh, you don't want that horse. He's a butthead. And I'm like, that's exactly the horse I want. She says, no, 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 you don't. He's a butthead. I said, yes, I do. So I got the horse out and I put his foot on a, on a pad. And in under 10 seconds, all of his behavior stopped. Really? Yeah. All yeah. of it. Yeah. And the woman was shocked. But the problem was the trainer hadn't been there. And mm-hmm. she had the horse in a habit of being a butthead, mm-hmm. and she refused to use the pad to keep him in the habit that she had him in of being yeah. a butthead. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we have to stop. We have to give it a rest and mm-hmm. let it go if we're going to make changes. And sometimes that's with our own ego, to not keep pigeonholing horses into a predicament that really... They want to change. They can change. But we've decided that's how they are. And if you ever walk through a barn and you hear people talk about the horses, oh, yeah, he's he's this. Oh, yeah, he's that. Oh, he's that. We pigeonhole them into these behaviors. And then, of course, they give us the behavior we pigeonhole them into. Yes, right? yes, yes. That's right. That's right. Yes. So we have to have to sometimes give ourselves a rest and not <laughs> go to our habits, too. <laughs> All right, now before you talked about, you know, breaking down the skills, but we're talking about now chunking it down versus overwhelm. Yeah, so the more we can make it, uh, the example I used of like with horses that walk with their head going up and back and shortening their back versus down and forward, we have to slow it down. When you're going to make a significant change in a motor pattern, you've got to slow it down. So it happens so fast you don't even realize you've done it. Right. Oh, yeah. here's a great example. Like touching our face. We're not supposed to touch our face anymore. No, that's wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And you don't even know you've touched it. Yeah, so it's, it's too like, late. How yeah. are we gonna? You know. So you don't even know that you've done something with your horse. Actually, I saw a, a joke. You know how dogs? You know they might have had eye surgery or ear surgery, and they have a bucket over their head. You know, like you, you yeah. take the hole out of a bucket. <laughs> and I saw the two dogs sitting with a human with the bucket over his head saying, I told you not to touch your face. So, yes, unless yeah, we actually put a bucket over so our head or something. Great. Yeah, yeah. So, so we have to chunk it down in terms of, like, breaking it down into pieces so that we can put it back together in a different way. Mm-hmm. So if we're asking a horse, say, okay, going back to, say, leg yield. Yes. Um, typically what people try to do is the whole diagonal line, yeah. right? They try yeah. to get the whole thing done at once. Yeah. And so the problem is it's too many steps and it's too far a distance that if it starts going south, it's going to go really south. Mm -hmm. And then you don't know where along the line, did you have a good step? Did you have a bad step? What changed? Where did it start to go? And so chunking it down would be asking for a leg yield for two steps and then going forward two steps. Yes. So instead of trying to do the whole diagonal, you chunk it down into two steps and then refresh with forward, and then two steps, and refresh with forward, until suddenly the horse is like, oh, I got it. And pretty soon you can do three steps and go forward, or four steps and go forward, as opposed to trying to do the whole thing all at once. And the horse just rushing to cross the diagonal. I'm just going to get across the diagonal, then they won't be so demanding. That's right, because it doesn't really understand what the task is. No. 
It thinks it's about getting across to the other side mm-hmm. because we haven't been clear enough in our explanation that it's about crossing their legs yep. to get to the other side instead yep. of just rushing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I'm sure that you go out and even when you're doing clinics, you know, you plan because that's you, planner. When do we plan? When do we just wing it? So, you know, there's um, a lot of people that ride by themselves they tend to not have a plan. Mm -hmm. So they go out there sort of randomly and kind of ride for a bit and then they don't know what to accomplish and they, you know, and so they don't have recognizable progression. So there's a certain degree of planning that's like really, really important to help us improve skills. And when I was a kid and I was, I rode hunters, you know, Monday was, or Monday was day off. Tuesday was flat work. Wednesday was grids. Thursday was flat. Friday was cross rail. Saturday was a rest. Sunday was a show. So we had a routine. Mm-hmm. We had a regular routine. And that would vary what the gymnastic was, what the level of the jump was, you know, that sort of thing, as opposed to going out every day and just, well, I got to go jump. Yep. Yep. <laughs> right. So now does the plan have to be rigid? No, but it really helps to have some degree of process what you what you're aiming to accomplish and the other part of that is also really good to keep a journal and and not just for where you're going but where you've been mm-hmm. so when I taught pony club uh, at the end of the year we would have the kids sit down and write what do they want to accomplish the next year whether that was uh, passing a rating or getting to dressage rally whatever that was whatever their goals were and then at the end of the year we'd look at what they accomplished in the year before. And what was so interesting is that most of the kids didn't realize how much they'd accomplished because they had been too busy kind of in the weeds and didn't see the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. So there's a piece of planning that's like, what do you want to accomplish this year in terms of with your own riding or with your horse so that you can chunk it down into, all right, if this is the show I want to get to, these are the skills I need for the level of competition and breaking it down and getting a plan so that you have structure. So we all thrive on structure and it doesn't have to be a rigid structure, but just something where there's some, some routine and some objective to help us kind of be more productive when we run. Yeah. Yeah. And what about fun? You know, tell us about when to have fun and when to be serious about it. Oh, you know, my competition riders, they get, so serious and stressed yes it's like you know and so i come along (laughs) i had a young rider this winter in florida actually and you know she had just started as a working student and a really high level dressage uh judge and trainer in his barn and not enough help and overworked and you know really stressed and i came along and i had some franklin balls you know what the franklin balls are no they're these they're Franklin balls are, are there's, um, I have seven different ones and they're, um, they're air filled. One is water filled, but that's kind of a special one. And they're about two inches in diameter. They're different sizes, but approximately two inches in diameter. And you stick them underneath your seat bones while you're sitting on the saddle. And so it lifts you off the saddle and it's non-habitual. I think of it as like sure foot for your butt. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's an unstable surface. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, you can't tense against it. You can't brace against it, or it's just not going to work. And you have to laugh. When I come out with the balls and start talking about, we're going to put balls under your butt, <laughs> nobody can keep a straight face. <laughs> so bringing in an element of fun breaks up that intensity. And, you know, I, that's the thing is we just, it's been very sad this past year. There's been several top dressage riders that have committed suicide yes. because it got so intense mm-hmm. and that's not what we're supposed to be doing we're not supposed to be making it so it, literally life and death mm-hmm. that we take our own lives because we're so stressed it, mm-hmm. this, we're supposed to be doing that most people are doing this because it's supposed to be fun exactly and yeah. if it's not fun why are we doing it yeah you know no i agree i think you've got to keep grounding yourself haven't you you know if you're not enjoying it Remember why you started this career, this whole occupation, this whole, you know, in with horses. And if you're not there and you're not in the same place, you know, do you need a break or do you need to be doing something else? Because if you're not doing it, if you're not enjoying it, that's for sure the horse isn't enjoying it. No, the horse has got to enjoy it. Yeah. And it's with horses, it's finding the right job for the horse. 
Yes. So, uh, you know, so often people get a horse because they want to do a certain job, mm. but that horse doesn't want to do that job. Yep. And it's, you know, it's not, uh, you haven't failed. You just need to find the right, either you change what job you're doing so that's the job the horse likes, or you find a horse that likes the job you want to do, you know, and that's just, it's not, a, it, you know, sometimes we just make a mistake and, you know, pick the wrong. My horse that I have, he's a, he's a fox hunter. He, we bought him for my, my uh, husband who actually has ridden him maybe three times. We've had him for 12 years <laughs> and fox hunting is what he absolutely loves to do in life. And so I'm usually traveling when fox hunting season starts. So I've, a couple of times I've sent him off to my friends so that they can take him fox hunting because he loves it, you know? Yeah, and yeah. so it's important that he gets to do a job he likes yes. and that's fun for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's important. Now, before you said that you get riders sometimes that just want you to come in and criticize and tell me what I'm doing wrong. But when do you criticize? When do you evaluate? Is there a place for criticism or is it evaluation? Um, objective observation mm-hmm. as opposed to criticize. Yes. So for me, criticism is actually intended to harm. You know, when we when we criticize somebody, we're actually really intending to harm them in what we say. Um, and when we're objective, we're simply saying what we see with trying to not, you know, like from an educated perspective. Yes. So, you know, like I have an online course, it's the Effortless Rider course, and I they can ask me questions and send me videos. And so the first thing I always try to do is find something that's really nice, mm-hmm. right? Because there's always something, whether it's he's got a beautiful tail, <laughs> you know, yes. find something yes. nice because people are already so hard on themselves and they're already so self-critical. And they've walked, looked at it and gone, oh, this is bad and that's horrible and I can't do this. And it's like we're our own worst enemies so often. So so I think it's really important to recognize that, you know, okay, maybe it's, you're not doing it perfectly right. But that's what you're doing, not who you are. And this is a distinction that I'm very clear about. It's We tend to say, I am. I am a bad rider. I am whatever. And it's like, no, you're not. It's what you're doing. Yeah. And if it's something you're doing, we can do something about it. It's yes. not who you are. Mm-hmm. And making that distinction, some people miss what I'm trying to say. They, they don't get it. But when they do get it, they realize, I have a choice. If it's something I'm doing, I can choose to do it differently. If it's who I am, I think of it as innate. And that's all there is. And that's not true. And that's the basis of the Feldenkrais method, is how can we achieve our potential? Because we just need more information. So when we have the information about how to move our body or use our body or work with our horse, then we can do make other choices and do it differently. But if we see it as who we innately are, there's no option. And so when people want me to criticize them, it's like, what's the value in that? Mm-hmm. Tell you what you're doing wrong? Let me show you what you can do different. Let me show, give you an option. If I give you an option, and then I always do this with my students, they hate me. I tell them to go back and forth between the old place and the new place. And they're, mm. yes. <laughs> and they start arguing. I don't want to go back. I just want to do this. I'm like, no, you have to go back. You've got to map it out. You know, yep, and yep, horses yep. will go back and forth all the time. They'll experiment. You watch them. After they come off a sure foot pad, they'll go to the old place and the new place and the old place. And they don't have any judgment about it. Right? Yeah, but people yeah. give me such a hard time. And it's like, <laughs> look, if you can do the choice, you can do whatever you want. You know, I know some people come on and they just, they don't go back and listen to old podcasts. They just want to know what's the latest. Tell us again about the sure foot. You know, we sort of talked about the sure foot bit earlier on, but tell us now again about yeah. the forefoot. Give us a description when you'd use it and um, the benefits. Sure. So um, surefoot pads are controlled unstable surfaces. They're, they're rectangular pads. They're about two inches. Well, they are two inches thick. And um, basically what I discovered is that when you place a horse's foot on a, on a surefoot pad, they reorganize their own balance, behavior, and movement. They self-correct their posture because they can discover choices. And so I've been doing this for eight years now, and I actually just did a, a webinar, uh, sorry, a Zoom meeting with um, Sharon Wilsey from Horsepeak. We talked about the changes we see in Surefoot. Horses that um, looked, appeared lame, go sound, because it's a habit. And so 
it's this whole idea of giving the horse a conscious recognition of his own body and the way his foot meets the ground because how that horse organizes is totally based on how that foot's meeting the ground. Yep. And so if he's not standing securely on his own feet, then he you know turns his 40-pound head and falls through his shoulder. So it gives him grounding. It resets proprioceptors. It's the veterinarians now in this country are using it for neuro rehab. I was at uh, American Association for Equine Practitioners in December and found out all these methods in surefoot and rehabilitation <laughs> and sports medicine. I was yeah. like, yay! Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But it also improves the relationship with your horse because the horse is when you off, it's an offer, not a demand. And so when it's an offer, the horses recognize they have a choice. And with that choice, they start to recognize that you have brought them something really interesting. And in the bell curve, the majority of horses, breathing changes in three to 10 seconds, softening, eye blinking, neck lowering, licking and chewing, and then they walk off different. And literally the first horse I ever put on a pad, I kind of for 15 seconds, and that horse went from looking lame to looking sound in 15 mm. seconds. And it blew my mind. So I have lots of videos and stuff on my YouTube channel. Yeah. I was going to say, if people would like to find out more, they can go to Murdoch Method, can't they? MurdochMethod.com to find out more about it. Yep. yep. And Murdoch Method on YouTube to see lots of videos because oh, the good. videos are really yep, fun. Yep, yep. Do you have a link from your website to your YouTube channel? Uh, you know what? I'm not sure I do. I just can't <laughs> see it anywhere. I'm, I'm on, your, on your website um, now. Oh, wait. No, you go, if you go into resources. Okay. I gotta okay. get a link up on my Facebook page. Um, I I post videos up there. There's Surefoot Equine Facebook page, Murdoch Method, mm. and then Murdoch Method YouTube channel and lots of videos. But I'm sure Google will come in handy there anyway. And the other thing oh, is yeah. too that uh, if someone goes to horsechats.com and um, searches for Wendy or searches for Murdoch, they'll come across one of your chats. And there's been a few now. I think we're on to number four, aren't we? Yeah, I think yep, so, yeah. Yep. So if they go to the bottom of the page, they'll find all your contact details. And the we, we should put your YouTube channel on there as well, on the bottom of this one. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Wendy, if people want to contact you right now, what's the best way? Um, they can email me at wendy at wendymurdoch.com. All right. Look, this has been wonderful. You know, every time I talk to you, I think you're just coming in and you're giving information that, someone else hasn't given before you know sometimes we get a little bit of a crossover which doesn't matter because it's obviously important but you're coming in and, and you're coming with so much knowledge and um, your skills and just giving us that information so I've got to thank you for your time Wendy it's been really good talking to you oh you're welcome thank you so much thank you if you've enjoyed this chat then please comment rate and subscribe if you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests then please contact us through horsechats.com and while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 